On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Man, off days are so important for the mind, for the body, to get refreshed and to buckle up for what's going to be one heck of a finish here to the NL Central. Hi, everybody. I'm Dominic Catronio. We've got a full hour of Brewers talk right here on WTMJ. Not much action in Major League Baseball today. Furthermore, none of it really mattering to the Brewers' case directly with both uh, the Reds and the Cubs off tonight. But let's just start the show by setting the stage of what's coming up this weekend, who they're playing, and how the standings look right now. And if you want to join the program here tonight, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. As the uh, the Reds, they will be taking on the Pirates over the weekend, Friday through Sunday. Then also the Cubs, they're up north of the border, taking on the Blue Jays for the weekend. And as are the Brewers on the road, getting ready for the Chicago White Sox. And I will be with you live on site at Guaranteed Rate Field for all three games, post-game for here on WTMJ. So really excited to uh, spend a road series with these guys before they head out west to take on the Dodgers. So, quick reminder of the standings right now. Brewers in first place, 62-54. and 54. The Cubs and the, Re- and the Reds are virtually tied. 59-56 and 56 are the Cubs. 60-57 and 57 are the Reds. Of course, the Cubs have two games in hand, so they need to catch up in that regard. The Reds have lost eight of their last ten. The Cubs have been on fire. They are on a serious roll right now. I believe the number was... Uh, 14 of their last 18. They've only lost, uh, let's see, 4 or 5. So it's now 14 of their last 19. And I'll start it back with a series win uh, against the Washington Nationals and acquiring Jamer Candelario. But in case you're wondering uh, about the wild card standings right now here in the National League, it's still looking in favor that there is a chance, it's not a guarantee, that the runner-up for the NL Central will still have a chance to be a wild card team. As of now, the Phillies lead the way. They're at 63 and 52, three and a half games clear of a wild card spot, one game clear of the San Francisco Giants. They're at 62 and 53. The the Giants are two and a half games clear of the last spot, which is currently held by the Miami Marlins. Miami is 60 and 56. Then the runner up of the Central is a half game back of that tally. And Arizona is now under 500 for the first time this year. The Diamondbacks are 57 and 58. And uh, San Diego, five games under. I think it's too little too late. I think they're out of the running now, too. 55 and 60. They are currently four and a half back of a wild card spot. So I, if Arizona continues to free fall, I don't know how to react to them. Is I don't think San Diego is going to be able to dig themselves out now with Joe Musgrove being hurt. I believe this is that last wild card spot is going to be a race between Miami, Chicago, Cincinnati, and then you know if the Brewers fall back, whoever is going to be in that runner-up spot because it's going to be daily between changes in the schedule or changes in the standings and what to see out of the Central. Uh, in case you're wondering. Reminder, the Brewers face the Cubs six more times this year. They'll see them down at Wrigley at the end of August, and they'll be the final home series of the season. Games 160, 161, and 162 
will all be against the Cubs back in American Family Field. And in case you're wondering about the Cubs and the Reds, they only have one more four-game series remaining. That is four games in Cincinnati. So just taking a look at the uh, head-to-head record this season for the Reds and the uh, and the Cubs, looking at the they are one and one so far this season at Cincinnati, as they'll be making up one of those games. That four-game set is a doubleheader as well. But one and one in Cincinnati. But otherwise, one, two, three, four, one and five, two, three, four, five and five against these. No, that wouldn't make sense. It's four and five against these Reds. So they can only, they need to at least win the series to win the season series outright. Meaning, if the Reds just win at least two of those four games remaining, they win the season series over the Cubs meaning they will have the tiebreaker. And as things stand right now, if the playoffs were to start the day, the Brewers would be hosting a three-game series with the Miami Marlins for the wildcard series, while the Phillies would be hosting a three-game series for the Giants. And then the top two seeds, of course, would be the Braves and the Dodgers. And then the Brewers would be lining up with the Dodgers in that two seed because the way it works is the number one seed is guaranteed not to face a division winner until the NLCS. So the Brewers, if they win the division, they get to avoid the Braves until the NLCS. So that's something to certainly uh, be striving for as things stand right now. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. One six twenty. That's the uh, old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank, get old. If you want to join us here on the program tonight, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the freshmen coming up. We're also going to give you some injury updates of what's going on with Roddy Telez and Jesse Winker right now, and we got to talk about the newcomers and what they've been doing as of late. So we're just getting going with you until nine o'clock tonight. This is Brewers Weekly right here on your home of the Brewers, WTMJ. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Okay, rolling on. Don't you hate that feeling? Sorry, right now I've got this feeling like I need the sneeze. It just won't come out. I hate that feeling. Gosh, and I'm trying to do live radio going through that. Golly. I'm Dom Catronio. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's going to be a fun week of a uh, 10-day road trip now as the Brewers get ready for kind of a make-or-break stretch of the season right now. It's going to be hard to pull away during this stretch of opponents after the White Sox this weekend. And you're facing both Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech. Uh, you're going to have to deal with the Dodgers, and you're going to have to deal with the Texas Rangers. But the Brewers have got some awesome contributions from the freshmen. And uh, another episode of the freshmen from their YouTube channel dropped tonight all on Sal Freela. Can't wait to watch once I'm done with this episode here for you. But let's let's start with Sal giving you some updates on what the freshmen have been doing and what their playing time should look like down the stretch. Sal Freelich, his slash line right now in his first 68 plate appearances in the big leagues, 260 batting average, 412 on base, 520 slugging, a 932 OPS. He has been really batting right in the middle of this order ever since his debut weekend. Uh, he got hits in each of his first three games uh, as a brewer and then uh, he it, over the week over the week I should say against the uh, Rockies he went two for five or excuse me two for three with a homer against the Rockies on Monday night 
He did not start the game on Tuesday night, given a lefty was on the mound. And then Wednesday afternoon, he went one for five with a double and just one strikeout. I've got one mind-blowing stat for you here on Sal Freelich. Since his uh, debut on July 22nd against the Braves, and I tweeted this as an inference, like, man, it feels like, and it turns out the data uh, supports this feel as well. It feels like Sal Freelich's been getting jobbed on a few strike calls, right? He knows the zone too well. He knows his zone too well. And we have data to prove it. So Sal Freelich, since he joined the league, since July 22nd, he has tied the third most called strikes that are, in fact, out of the strike zone, according to StatCast. I'll read it again. Tied for the third most called strikes on pitches outside of the strike zone since his debut across all of baseball. The only ones with more are DJ LeMahieu, Marcelo Zuna, Alejandro Kirk, and Trey Turner. Now, Kirk and Turner are equal with the, the number that Sal is at, which is 12. He knows his zone, man. He is up there understanding what he needs to do to attack a pitch that he can get hit. And the double that he hit on Monday night, man, I'm going to remember that for a very long time. And it's also great to see Baseball Reference has already updated his nickname as the Hit Collector. Uh, if you have been, spent enough time on Baseball Reference, you know they add nicknames, and some of them are stupid, but this one is accurate. It's been around the Brewers clubhouse since spring training. And one more note on Sal Freelich with two strikes on him this season in the big leagues. He's been really, really darn good. Now, in the minor leagues, he was better, but he has 10 walks and only 12 strikeouts with two strikes on him. He's somebody that is able to work counts, is not afraid to have two strikes on him. Granted, he has slowed down the actual hit production. He really started off hot of getting hits with two strikes. Now he's just 5 for 29. But let's remind you, that is normal to be a 175 or so hitter with two strikes on you. But he's been uh, very competitive and has got no shame in having a two-strike count, working a count deep and uh, trying to take count leverage to best of his ability. And overall, still, he's got more walks than strikeouts overall, still. 14 walks and 12 strikeouts. How long would that last? I don't know, but I love four doubles, three homers. Sal has been awesome. Another guy that's been awesome lately, and we briefly touched on him this week during postgame shows, is Bryce Terang. Bryce Terang's last 14 games look like this. A 381 batting average, a 469 on on-base percentage, and a 548 slug for an OPS over 1,000. That's over 50 plate appearances. 49 total plate appearances. Now, only one double and two homers certainly propping that up, but the numbers that I love when I look at, at Bryce over his last 14 games is the fact that he also has more walks than strikeouts. Seven walks to four strikeouts, and he's three for three in stolen bases. He's been aggressive on the base paths. He's actually increased his on-base percentage by 32 points during this last 14-game stretch, and he's increased his batting average by 28 points over this recent trend of good hitting. So I hope that continues for Bryce Terang moving forward. A lot of questions about Joey Weimer. What's going on with Weimer? Why hasn't he been playing as much every day? Well, with Sal Freelich being here, he doesn't need to play every day because they're not giving anything up defensively with Sal playing center field. Now, Joey Weimer is one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball, so I don't want to take that away from him. 
but they don't feel like they're losing any sort of uh, production. You know, it's a different type of production, per se. He's quietly gone about his business well, despite not playing as much as he was. You know, he's playing virtually every day. Now he's been getting an off day almost once a week at this point. But he had an eight-game hitting streak at the end of the uh, Red series that continued into the first game of the Pirates series. So over these last 12 games, he's only got 12 hits, though. That's still a two ninety three batting average. 12 for 41 over his last 12 games, despite not playing every day. I feel like taking a breather is going to be very important for Joey Weimer and giving him the chance to be successful. I'm sure we're going to see him plenty against left-handed starters. Against lefties overall, he's hitting three oh nine in a nine forty three OPS. He just absolutely torches lefties, whereas righties, he has really been plagued, only 179 hitter in a five seventy six OPS. But left-handed starters, when you get specific, it's not that great, but five of his 13 homers have come off of left-handed starters, despite having half of the plate appearances against them than he does right-handed hitters. As for uh, the last freshman, Andrew Monasterio, who wasn't really on anybody's radar at the start of this season, I saw it today in a Fangraphs chat with uh, Dan Zimborski. Is he a long-term piece for the Brewers? Probably not. He's probably not a long-term piece. Remember, the Brewers just drafted a lot of left-side infielders uh, between third base and shortstop, and also they got Tyler Black coming, and they're very excited about him. Now, Andrew can certainly fill a utility-type role that can keep you in the big leagues for a little while. And Andrew, I mean, just so quietly gets hits, man. 290 batting average and 163 plate appearances. He's not meant to hit homers, but the fact that he's hit a homer in back-to-back games is a wonderful development. Nine doubles. He'll give you a solid enough defense. He doesn't strike out that often. I I just love that he has performed a role on this team that nobody expected him to do. Remember, he was initially called up when Willie got on the concussion IL from getting hit by the foul ball from Brian Anderson, and everyone thought, oh, it was just going to be a temporary thing, but then he kept on hitting. It's like, how can, you, how can you option this kid? He kept on hitting, and he hasn't let go of the chance. So kudos to Andrew for staying with it. He was the hero on Wednesday, just putting the ball in play, and, his, and then Tovar having the error to help the Brewers win the game and sneak by the season, uh, win the series, I should say, against the, Rock, the Rockies to finish things up. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit real now with the newcomers and give you the numbers and give it to you straight. And also in that, we'll have an injury update on Rowdy Telez, who is playing tonight in Nashville. Don't go anywhere. Brewers Weekly is with you until the top of the hour right here on your home of the Brewers, WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. want to answer a text here, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. You got the splits on Freelich versus Weimer, Terang, Mitchell, Hira, etc. through... X at bat. So let's just compare it to Freelick, where he's at right now. So Sal is at 68 plate appearances with a 932 OPS. Garrett Mitchell, he had 68 plate appearances to end last season. He hit 312 with an 832 OPS. So the the slugging comes from Sal, not so much from Garrett. Garrett had five extra base hits over those 68 plate appearances. Sal has seven, including a few more walks than Garrett. Garrett strikes out more than Sal does, but he had a better batting average. Bryce Terang, in his first 69 plate appearances in the show, had only a 634 OPS, and Joey Weimer only had a 585 OPS. I wasn't able to get to Hira's in time 
during the break. But that should give you some idea of why the Brewers are very excited about Sal Freelich and about Garrett Mitchell when he's healthy, when he would return next season. And, oh, by the way, the number one prospect uh, is Jackson Churio, a top two prospect in baseball, depending on who you ask. And Churio is coming. And there were a few questions about, oh, well, if you know Tyler Naquin going to the White Sox, does that mean Churio's coming to AAA? No, uh, I, I don't see that happening. There's not that much time left in the season, though. And remember, last year... The Brewers moved Churio up to AA just for a couple of weeks uh, at the end of the season, and he struggled a little bit. Now, the regular season ends nowadays a little closer to the end of the Major League regular season, as Biloxi will end on September 17th. As for Nashville, remember, they pretty much play all the way through now, so if there were to be an opportunity, maybe it would come in late late September since they play an extra week and then they have their postseason if they're going to continue playing. So the 17th is the end for Biloxi, but then Nashville plays for one more week following that. If they move Jackson up, I do not know. But in case you were wondering, Jackson Churio's numbers at the moment, and they are uh, playing right now as we speak. But coming into uh, tonight, Churio in 94 games as a 19-year-old in AA, hitting 285. An 8.15 OPS. He's got 17 homers, 19 doubles. Uh, he's also got 32 stolen bases. Will he be up by the end of next year? I don't know if there would be room for him, but I won't put it past the Brewers to make it happen. He is not making the team out of spring training. He will be only 20. He will turn 20 during spring training next year. So he is still extremely young to be in the upper levels of professional baseball, but yet. He still might be in the big leagues before he's 21 years old. And that's a very, very rare feat. And the Brewers got a good one coming with him. So that leads me why the Brewers were sort of quiet at the deadline compared to some. And the pieces they've added, Andrew Chafin, uh, Carlos Santana, and Mark Canna. Why didn't they go more all in, Dom? Why didn't they go after it? Why didn't they get big? Because the price was too big. There wasn't much out there. Again, I will repeat this over and again. Jamer Candelaria was the best position player traded in this deadline. And should the Brewers have gone after him? Maybe. But then it becomes a, a, a ripple effect of Monasterio. you got to make sure he keeps going. Does he handle a more elevated role? Bryce Terang is now out of the lineup probably in that scenario. There's a lot to go on there if you were getting Jamer Candelario, who's also a rental. When the Brewers get excited about what's coming, it's because they weren't going to trade a Tyler Black. He could be in the big leagues by next year. I don't think he's going to be up this year unless something happens injury-wise. But Black will definitely be a candidate for the big leagues next year since both Brian Anderson uh, is due to be on his way out, Carlos Santana is due to be on his way out, and Mark Canna are due to be on their way out. So there is room for somewhere for Tyler Black, and he's been playing a little bit of first base since he came up to AAA as of late. But that's why the Brewers went after rentals, right? Because they have a young core on the way, and they didn't want to disrupt that. Between Black, between Churio, between Jefferson Caro, uh, Jacob Mizorowski, uh, and then the shortstops in the third base. I mean, they've been off to a great start in uh, high A. I mean, Mike Bovee suddenly hitting for power, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming for the Brewers draft pick. But they've uh, done their scouting. They've done their job. And maybe because they went, as they usually do, college-heavy, on position players, 
they could be up sooner as opposed to later. So keep that in mind. But just looking at the numbers, it's not pretty right now for the Brewers' newcomers. Mark Canna redeemed himself yesterday after that error in left field in the top of the 10th, had the game-tying double in the bottom of the 10th inning. But since coming to the Brewers, he is just 6 for 34. That's a 176 batting average. Uh, he's been more of an on-base guy his whole career, but he's having one of his down years on-base-wise, only reaching base at a 34% clip, which is lower than average for him. Uh, in New York in 2022, he reached base with a 367 clip. In Oakland, his final year in Oakland, he hit 358. Uh, in 2019, he was nearly a 400 on-base guy, so the Brewers would like to see that guy walk through the door here sooner as opposed to later. And Carlos Santana, yes, he's got a couple of homers, but he's just 7 for 43. That's a 163 average. He's not slugging, but he's been playing some great defense. So remember, these two guys are really just meant to be veterans and presences for the Brewers and just in case. And when Rowdy Telez comes back, who is playing tonight, by the way, in Nashville, right, they're on the road in Indianapolis in Game 1, Rowdy, so they got a doubleheader today. Rowdy in game one went one for three as the first baseman. He also drew a walk in that game. And now they're already out and running in game two. He's the DH in game two. He's 0 for 1 with a walk as they're already up 5 nothing on Indianapolis in that game. So Rowdy could be back by the end of the weekend, maybe on the trip to L.A. as he continues his rehab assignment from his uh, fractured left ring finger. Tyler Black's had a slow introduction to AAA. He's only hitting 091 right now in a AAA, just in a week's worth of game, or just a three days worth of games, I should say. So one for 10. I'm not even going to freak out about that. Uh, it's 10 at-bats. No, no need to panic. He's got four walks in that at-bat that stretch as well. So it's a 357 OPS. He, he knows, uh, oh, on base, I should say. He knows the zone. But the Brewers, when Rowdy comes back, he'll probably start as a DH. It's Santana's glove at first base. And it will help the Brewers against righties if his power comes back since that forearm injury that he was initially placed on the injured list is now well healed and gone. They hope that the power should arrive. Now, I have qualms about the fact that, well, he's on the injured list with a finger and he has to cut a hole out of his batting glove in order to fit the bandage through that batting glove for him to hit. I'm a little worried about his production coming back uh, as quick as he's coming back, but it's better than nothing. And the Brewers desperately need pop from their first base position, whether it's Canna, whether it's Santana, or whether it's Telez. And I just want to address this once. Keston here is not coming up this year unless another injury happens. It's just not going to happen, guys. We talked about this when the Brewers were in Cincinnati in July. That was when Rowdy Telez's freak injury happened. Okay, you needed an emergency first baseman that day. And where were the where were the Nashville Sounds? They were in Louisville, an hour and a half away from Cincinnati, and they still didn't call Keston Hira. He's not going to be in the big leagues this year, guys. You need to be get over that unless something changes, as in an injury, uh, production, things of that nature. They went to get Carlos Santana because they knew they weren't bringing up Keston Hira. I don't know why. So I'm just the messenger. They're not bringing him up. It doesn't make sense to me, but the Brewers have a reason for it all. I don't know what that reason is. The newcomers obviously want to perform better, and this would be a great stretch of them to start doing so, given they were brought here to help the offense, and it has been the same guys providing for the offense. Yelich, Contreras, Freelich, and Monasterio. 
They need to make that lineup longer if they want to have, feel comfortable in this NL Central. Take another break. Come back with more. Talk a little bit more about the uh, the Brewers' offense as a whole. Some Christian Yelich thoughts as well. This is Brewers Weekly. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Welcome back. Dom Catronio with you. Text from Doug. I think it's time for Tyrone to be the everyday player. I wouldn't mind that, but then you got to think about the lineup of... Yeah, I'd rather see right now. I, I wonder what they do with Tyrone and Weimer because Weimer's defense and center is better than Tyrone's. Uh, Tyrone has proven he can hit big league pitching. Joey Weimer has been hot and cold at stretches. I wouldn't mind seeing a little extended look of Tyrone to figure out what you have there because he looks like he's healthy again and uh, things are in the right direction for him. I wouldn't mind that. Good text there from Doug. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. Old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank. Get old. Just going through the offense here, I want you to, listeners listeners along here, play a little game. League average, what do you think it is? First and foremost, what do you think the league batting average is across Major League Baseball this year? Just think to yourself. I was going over this with a few members of the media around in the dugout. It gave me inspiration for this segment. League average right now this season is 248 for your batting average. A season ago, in the shift year, it was 243. So the shift has maybe, you know, banding the shifts maybe given you five points, but it's really not that big of a difference. Is the Brewers' batting average as a team better or worse than league average? Don't need to answer that. You know the answer. It's worse. League average, again, 248. Brewers are at 234. On-base percentage. On-base percentage. What do you think league average is for on-base percentage? You know what a good on-base percentage is, but what's league average? What's everybody? Time's up. It's 320. Now, I think this is a good question. Do you think the Brewers' team on-base percentage is higher or lower than league average? Give you a second to think about it. Prepare to explain yourself. The answer is lower. 312 is their on-base percentage. They're a team that normally takes pride in that stat more than the batting average stat. Last season, they had a decent on-base percentage, as the Brewers uh, were three points better than league average, 315, a year ago. So still not that great of a number. But to give you an idea of how hard it is to increase your on-base percentage, this year, the league's best team with on-base percentage is, of course, the Atlanta Braves. They're at 342, okay? And that elite offense that the Cardinals have at 330, their on-base percentage being better than the Brewers, it's still not getting them wins because of their pitching staff. The Brewers' runs per game, what do you think league averages in runs per game? This is going to decimal points, a little harder to get. 4.58, 4.58. League average. Brewers are below that as well at 4.2 up. But then, wait a minute, you think for a second. I thought the Brewers were a really darn good team when they score at least four runs. And you're right about that. And they're barely averaging just over four runs. So why haven't they won more games? Well, it's not that easy. I mean, there are a few games that they've lost when they score at least four runs. This season, after Wednesday, the Brewers are 50-14 and 14 when scoring at least four runs. 
50 of their 61 wins have come with at least four runs. Now, 11 wins with fewer than four runs is a testament to your pitching staff because you're not supposed to win those type of games. And furthermore, the one-run game record continues to be fantastic. The Brewers are 21-10 in one-run games. This offense, it's kind of riding a margin right now. You would hope it gets better when Telez comes back. I'm withholding judgment on Jesse Winker. I don't see it ending well for him. He has been taking ground balls at first. I don't think that's going to stick, given what the Brewers have said their priority is with defense. They're not going to sacrifice something. I think that's more of an in-case-of-emergency scenario. For Jesse Winker, if he ever makes a start at first base, I would be absolutely flabbergasted. But the Brewers, I mean, they have four guys on the depth chart ahead of Jesse Winker, in my opinion, of defensive first baseman, where you go Carlos Santana, Roddy Telez, Mark Canna, Victor Caratini, and then, then I'm putting Jesse Winker out there, break glass in case of emergency. Let's start Christian Yelich coming up next. Got a little bit longer here on the program, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. More to come right after this on WTMJ. Back with- it's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. couple more segments on the show here. A couple texts that I've rolled in. Uh, this one from Brian. Appreciate the compliment. Can't wait till we're healthy again. Mitchell will hopefully be our future. Do you see us keeping Taylor and Miller? It's a good question, and I think it's too early to tell on Miller. I don't know what they're going to do or what their plan is with Tyrone Taylor at this point. With all these outfielders on the way right now, he will surpass... Uh, three years of service time at some point in the next year, so he will be arbitration eligible by the end of next season. However, you know, if you want to just say cold world, you know, they could non-tender him this year because he's going to be entering his age 30 season next year, and the Brewers will have Bryce Terang, or excuse me, Joey Weimer, Garrett Mitchell, Jackson Churio, Sal Freelich, all ready to go in the outfield. That's four guys right there. Do you want to really keep a fifth with Tyrone Taylor? Does one of those guys get squeezed out? Does Tyrone get squeezed out for Churio to come up to the show? I don't know if that happens one day, but I still think we're still too early to tell Miller. I mean, he has options. So they used up one of his option years. He still have one, one more option year into next season as well. So they could option him in 2024 before they have to make a decision on him in spring training of 2025. So that's still very, very early to decide what they're going to do with him. All right, let's talk about Christian Yelich here for a little bit. Yelly, he's back. We've talked about it plenty. A 290 batting average, 374 on base, 469 slugging. Should have been an all-star, but he wasn't. 843 OPS. The uh, underlying numbers are great as well. The advanced stuff, his average exit velocity is up from the last two years. His hard hit rate is the best it's been since 2020, granted shortened season, so I don't want to put a lot of stock into that, but 51.5% hard hit rate is the best, would be the best he's had in a full season in his career. And I think a perfect example of why it's still important to hit the ball hard is the top spin grounder he hit for a base hit the other night against the Rockies, where you would think for most other guys, if he didn't get all of that, he still hit that one, like I think 108. Yes, it was a grounder, but when he hit the ball hard, good things happen. They shoot through the middle of the field. Another thing about Yelich. 
that we've talked about over and over again is his launch angle, his average launch angle. It has slowly crept up each of the last three years after 2020. It was down to just 2.8, his average launch angle in 2021. It went up last year to 3.6, and now it's up even higher to 4.8. Now, if he can get that closer to like 8 or 9, you're going to see a lot more doubles from Yelich and less ground ball singles. And remember, in his epic 2019 season before the injury, he had an 11-degree launch angle on average. But to look at this glass half full like I usually do, his MVP season in 2018, he had virtually the same average launch angle, 5 degrees. So he's a much similar guy than you think. He's just not hitting as many home runs. His barrel rate is pretty darn good, 9%. League average is just 7%. And in those two great years, he was at 13% and 16%. So when he did get that good launch angle, he was marrying it with hard contact majority of the time. Yelly just has been a steady force for the Brewers. In fact, his uh, on-base percentage has not been below 350 since June 5th when he went 0-4 for 4 against the Reds. So since June 6th to now, his on-base percentage has been 402. He has been a 3-4-5 player for the last two months or so. That's over 250 plate appearances. 329 batting average, 402 on base, 550 slugging, a 951 OPS. He is playing his role as a leadoff hitter. He is not a two or a three. He is setting the stage for William Contreras and company to drive him in. That's his job on this team. Get on base and score and hit doubles. Not hit homers. But the fact that he leads this team and runs batted in tells you everything out of the leadoff spot with 64 RBIs. He's still getting hits when he is required to do so. You know, with runners in scoring position and things of that nature. I'm pulling up his RISP stats right now. Yelly, with runners in scoring position, is virtually the same hitter. 296 batting average. His season average is 290. 373 on base. That's the same. A 459 slugging. That's 10 points less. An 832 OPS. He's the same guy with runners in scoring position. That's exactly what you want. I will continue to bang that drum and say, look, Yelich being back is the reason why the Brewers are in this position. Not just a single guy. The pitching's been great, too. But the Brewers aren't doing what they're doing right now in first place without with 2021's Christian Yelich. They're not doing it. It's just not happening. And sometimes, great play happens slowly. Meaning, you add him up at the end and you realize, oh my gosh, Yelly's got a chance to have an 850, 860 OPS at the end of the season after where he had been the last two years? If I told you that at the start of the year, you'd be like, man, I hope they're in first place. Christian Yelich, fun to watch. And somebody asked me the other day, and I repeat it every time, hey, who's, who's your favorite batting practice to watch? Because I know you get to go down there. You know, who, Whose batting practice do you like to watch the most? It's Christian Yelich. It looks effortless. It's crazy. Crazy how talented he is. That's my little Christian Yelich soapbox rant. Sometimes great production comes without homers and sexy walk-offs and things of that nature. Granny's got a walk-off this year. Sometimes you just add him up at the end and you realize, oh, man, he's having an awesome year. That's Yelich for you this year. Uh, let's wrap up the show with a quick series preview and uh, a plea for Willie Adama. Stay with us. Wrap up the show after this. Wrapping up the program right now, I'm Tom Catronio. The matchups down on the south side as tomorrow, 7-10 first pitch. 
Brewers warm-up will be right after Wisconsin's afternoon news, and that'll be with uh, Greg Matzik, and then I've got you post-game all three games this weekend. 7-10 first pitch. Network coverage will begin at 6-40. Corbin Burns, Michael Kopech. Burns has really turned a corner as of late. He has been awesome to watch. So that is 7-10 tomorrow. Saturday, weird start time, 6-15, because our friends on Fox have us again. That means Sal Freelich is going to go off, so mark your calendars. Uh, Brandon Woodruff gets the start against Jesse Schultens, a right-hander. So Woodruff v. Schultens on Saturday, and then wrap things up on the south side on Sunday afternoon at 1-10, Freddie Peralta against Dylan Cease. I mean... The Brewers starting off this road trip with those three arms, with the way they've been throwing lately. So that would, in theory, line up after the Monday off day to have Wade Miley on Tuesday against the Dodgers. Again, second start against them. Then Adrian Hauser Wednesday uh, against those Dodgers. And then Corbin would get one start against L.A., in the finale on Thursday, and then you would set up Brandon Woodruff on Friday against the Rangers, Freddie Peralta on Saturday again against the Rangers, and then on Sunday it would be back to Wade Miley before they come back home. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. It's going to be a big road trip, man. I got a lot to figure out. We won't have another Brewers Weekly for a couple of weeks, but we'll have post games for you all the way here. Uh, for the weekend and even staying up late with us, don't worry. If you want to go to bed, if you don't want to watch the entire game next week in L.A., we will still have a post game waiting for you right here in the podcast feed. Brewers All Access, in case you've never subscribed, you should. We've got some content coming for you for this stretch run. The Brewers coming in at 62-54. and 54. It is already flying by. 46 games to go. They're in first place Good vibes had by all. And a reminder, the Brewers, no one in the Central Division for that matter, has had a division lead larger than two and a half games at any point this season. The Brewers would love to add on to that this weekend against the White Sox as the Reds are in Pittsburgh and the Cubs are in Toronto. So the Brewers are going to try to add, create some space before they take on two first-place teams in the Dodgers and the Rangers. That'll do it for us here tonight. My thanks to our producer, Matt Sossler. I'm Dom Catronio. Keep on swinging.